the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Luke chapter 19, verses 37 and 38. Hey everybody, I'm Chris Dowd. And I'm Reagan Gilliland. And this is Off Script, a podcast where every week we take a deeper dive on last Sunday's sermon, talk about the theology behind it, and get a chance to discuss anything that ended up on the cutting room floor. This is the podcast for the last Sunday in Lent. Yep. Also Palm Sunday, also Passion Sunday, which we'll talk about. Yep. This is also the last podcast pre-baby yep. for Reagan Gilliland. That's true. Are you excited about that? Yeah. <laughs> you ready? Yeah, today I'm like, let's get this baby out. <laughs> I'm done. Well, eight days, right? Eight days. It's exciting. Although I know there's a full moon on Saturday. Okay. Which some people think causes causes delivery? people to go into really. Yeah, my mother, that's inconvenient. It is because we got stuff going on on Sunday. Yeah, Sunday's a little busy, <laughs> so um, we'll just see. All right, we'll yeah. see how it goes. Yeah, I'll see how it goes. <laughs> see if baby baby Killian is ready to arrive or not. Yeah. Trying to steal Jesus' thunder. Hope I'm not. getting strong vibes from the podcast community that Killian's a great name, by the way. <laughs> really? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Can you imagine first day of school? Killian? <laughs> it, they would pronounce it Chillian, though, because it would. Probably. Yeah. It'd be like. But then he would have the opportunity to correct them. Like, it'd be a whole thing. Yeah. Kids love that. <laughs> kids love them they're like this is how you say my name um, that's not <laughs> <sighs> all right well what are we talking about we're the talk- atonement we're talking about a t- dude when i saw your title <laughs> atonement i was like really that word the word that literally makes you like go into like a sweat still still a little bit because that is like i just remember Going through BOM the first time. What's BOM? Board of Ordained Ministry. So like the first like big one like commissioning and people, everyone's like, just make sure you have your atonement theory. Like they're going to grill you. So you got to be able to talk about all of them. I couldn't keep them straight. And like, I just. <laughs> I was in the room that day. It was, I mean, you saw how bad it was that first time I went through. It was bad. So. Um, it wasn't bad. But yeah. So when I was like, atonement. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> but you handled it well. Thank you. So I thought is, about it a lot. I figured you probably had once or twice. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. Exactly. I talk about it twice a year in interviews for yeah. multiple candidates. Multiple. But, yeah. but there's a lot uh, we can talk about. So I do think it's interesting that the Luke um, story of this doesn't mention palms. No palms. And you talked about, like, if kids came in wearing cloaks. Yes, and I came home and my youngest was like, that would be fine with me, Dad, if we did Harry Potter on. <laughs> but I feel like it would almost be a little creepy. I don't oh, know. Oh, yeah. Well, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Like, we do the whole, whole like, Benedictine thing. <laughs> For slash sure. Slash sinister thing. I was picturing, isn't there a Kermit the Frog-like meme where he's wearing, like, a cloak? That's all I could picture. <laughs> well, every That's time awesome. he thought, I was like, yeah. Kermit the Frog. That's all I could see. That's right. Emperor Palpatine. Happy cloak Palpatine. Yeah, a it cloak. is. 
<laughs> I think I think it is often both the same meme of, oh, okay. of him doing yeah, yeah. that. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, so let's. I kind of want to get into it uh, pretty quickly. So you open up talking about, um, uh, well, a, fr- a verse that the Apostle Paul says about being reconciled. Right. See, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself. Right. So reconciling or to be reconciled, what is it, nuts and bolts? What does that mean? So when I looked it up in my, um, I got all my Greek stuff in my office, and I, it's the. Uh, it's like the companion to the co- to the concordance. I can't remember what that's called. Um, anyway, it's in Greek and English. Okay. And the the official definition is to exchange hostility for friendship. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Okay. And I had that in there the first time, but it got a little long, and so um, I just I tightened it up a little bit. But that's like the I think that's uh, that captures it well. Mm-hmm. Like we were, and Paul says this in Romans, um, like we were once enemies with God yes. and now we're not enemies any longer. But I mean, the bottom line is it means to restore a relationship. Yeah. Okay. So that, and that relationship's broken by sin, human sin. Mm-hmm. And um, in Christian theology, the only way to like, so, man, we're going to get all. I know. Okay. I'm just so, going to sit back. You just go. Mm-hmm. Here we go. <laughs> So you can think of sin two ways. You can think of sin like with a little S as the things that we do wrong or the things that we don't do that we should. Sins of omission, sins of commission. Or, well, and you can think of it as a power in our lives. So, and I always make the distinction between capital S sin and little S sin. So the power of sin in our lives, capital S sin, um, leads us to do things we shouldn't do, little s sin. And the problem is actually not so much the little s sin. That's kind of the symptom of the problem. The problem is this power within us. And so um, what Paul says is that in Christ, God broke the power of sin and and replaced it with the power of God. This Holy Spirit, love, there's a lot of ways to, to talk about it. And so the question is, like if you were raised in the Baptist tradition, you think that entirely happened on Good Friday. Okay. Um, and it's not just Baptists who think that. A lot of people think that. But that really does flatten the story <laughs> to one particular moment. And and my point is the Good Friday is kind of the culminate. The Holy Week in general is the, is the culmination of this extraordinary life. We kept saying this over and over again. Communications team came up with that. <clears throat> and so it's not just it's – not, it's not just about the cross. It's not all about the cross. The cross is an important part of the story. But uh, the reconciliation, our reconciliation with God is a result of all of it. That's the, that's the punchline. Okay. No, that's good. I think that was easy to follow. Okay, so you talk about how this past Sunday could either be palm or passion. So why – what does the word like passion come from or why is it passion, I guess? Uh-huh. Do you know? Let's see. I, I meant to look this up before I came down here to the studio down the hall. <laughs> but it's Latin, I'm sure. Okay. <laughs> It, but it means the it means the part of the story, like the the agonizing part of the story, from uh, the Last Supper or his last meal with his disciples until his burial. That that portion of the story is the passion. Is the passion okay? And scholars believe that was the first thing written down. That in the resurrection accounts. Okay. Those because it was you know the thing that was most recent. Um, it was the 
had all these memorable events that happen. And each of the gospel authors has their own kind of take on those stories. But the thing about the tricky thing about Palm Sunday is if you, if you only celebrate it as Palm Sunday, you run the risk of going from the celebration of the palms uh-huh. to the celebration of Easter. And there's this really important stuff that happens in the middle. Right. And so the church, it's, it's Palm slash Passion Sunday. The vast majority of churches just focus on the palms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Methodist churches for sure. Yeah. Um, but that passion story is part of it. And so, you know, it was, um, it was, so yesterday in worship, we ended up doing the whole celebration with the kids. Also no kids in Luke, by the way. You know what I'm Yes. And the, like the celebration, the celebratory aspect of him coming into Jerusalem. And then also the, the atonement, the, the cross portion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So people ask this a lot. So the people that are greeting him on this triumphant sort of entrance, are the, is that the exact same crowd that calls for his crucifixion? Yeah, we talked about this actually in Bible study yesterday. We okay. did the, yeah. So every gospel author kind yeah. of deals with this in a different way. But so what, what I read at the top was um, at the top of the podcast today from the 37th verse of the 19th chapter, the whole multitude of the disciples. So that okay. implies all of the disciples. Not, And that doesn't mean the 12 because okay. the, the, the 12 in Luke have been called apostles already. Okay. So disciples are anybody who followed him. So the whole multitude of disciples. Then when Pilate condemns him, and this is in, um, let's see, it's going to take me a minute because I have my study Bible with all my notes and then I got my preaching Bible, which I bring down here inside baseball. That does not have all my notes. So in chapter 23, verse 13 Pilate then called together the chief priests, the leaders, and the people. Okay. Now, that doesn't say the whole multitude of disciples. Yeah, it just says people, the people. Right. So who is the, who are the people? Yeah. Are they members of the Jewish community who are not disciples? Because he doesn't say disciples. He could use the same word. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's unclear. And those are the ones who say crucify him, crucify him. Yeah. My other... Well, I don't want to get into all that. So then um, at the at its crucifixion, uh, so chapter 23, verse 48, and when all the crowds who had gathered there for this spectacle saw what had taken place, they returned home beating their breasts, which is a sign of repentance. Yeah. So you've got the crowd. You've got the whole multitude of disciples who welcome in Jerusalem. You've got some other group of people who it's very clear that the religious leaders are the ones who stirred them up to, mm-hmm. to call for his crucifixion. And then you've got the crowds who were there at the execution at the cross um, who repent when they go away. Meanwhile, the leaders are still mocking him. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's like the way Luke tells the story, this is not about the crowds. This is not about the people. It's about the religious leaders. And in some, in, in some way, in some, some portion of them were kind of stirred up by the uh, leaders to call for his crucifixion. Everyone but the leaders – Repents when they leave. It's it's, it's a complicated yeah. story. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you for pointing that out. Because I think a lot of people, um, I was reading, uh, I subscribed to Nadia Bold's Weber like newsletter, and she was talking about how like Palm Sunday always makes her sometimes cringe just because not knowing like, okay, are these the same people that are like, you know, being so excited and then a few days later 
like they turn. That's definitely the preacher way to spin uh-huh. it. Yeah. But it's a little more nuanced than that. Yeah. Yeah. She also had a great, um, let's see, you know, we're always looking for sermon, like titles. Yeah. Hail him to nail him. That could be a sermon series for next year. You you sent one on Saturday that was like, what was it, Gates of Hell or something? I, no, I betrayed him. <laughs> I betrayed him. How I betrayed Jesus. Like everybody, it was a local church, so I should probably be careful. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, um. It was not a local Methodist church. <laughs> <laughs> um, so just put that, Ashley, if you don't put that down for next year. The, doesn't Hail pass him. the sniff test. <laughs> <laughs> I'm nope. super sensitive about this, as you know. Yes. So atonement is not just my thing on during Holy Week. Like the way we pre- the way we present the cross is really really important because if you if the traditional way of looking at the cross the substitutionary atonement I'm so bad God had to die for me if that uh-huh. if that does not work for you it's never going to work for you mm-hmm. if you're brand new to the Christian faith that is a very difficult pill to swallow yeah if if we are saying that God is a God of love God is a God of inclusion God is a God of um, forgiveness. And God is omnipotent, and and God is omniscient. God can choose to forgive however God chooses to. Like it doesn't. There's nothing that demands the death of the God's son. Look, I'm gonna get on a rant here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I, I don't like bloody hymns. Mm-hmm. I don't like bloody images of Jesus because I think that that ends up overemphasizing the worst part of the story. Mm-hmm. It was the worst part of the story for him. <clears throat> Had to have been the worst part of the story for God. An inevitable consequence of human sin and suffering and evil and all that, which I tried to make the point in the sermon. Um, but, you know, I just, it's something we have to pay attention to. So when we, every time, <laughs> every time we sing a song and it's got some kind of bloody language in there, I think to myself, I wish I could just reinterpret this for everybody, but not for everybody, because if it works for you, that's fine. Of course, it's fine. But I just, you know, like my kids don't understand crucifixion that way yeah just because i've heard it uh, in some forms like you know god was just so disgusted with us you know and i'm like oh that like ooh, i'm I, just shaking my head I'm i just shaking my head no yeah and i you know I, certainly when i had my own kids uh like i don't know it just that that whole strain of theology uh it's part of the tradition and so if it's meaningful for people, and I said this in the sermon, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to talk you out of it. But if it's not, just know that it is, it is no less faithful to understand this in a different way. Yeah. Because, in fact, these other theories are, in some cases, just as ancient. And we've got them all in Scripture. And so, I mean, not well-articulated theories. None of the, none of the, of the theories are clearly articulated. Yes. The one exception would be Paul, who was a first century Jew who of course thought of reconciliation to God in terms of blood, right? That's the way it worked in the temple. None of us are first century Jews. That's not our ethos. That's not our, that's not our theological foundation. And so, um, you know, I, I always appreciate, I had Billy Abraham, uh, and Karen Baker Fletcher. They co-taught systematics here. I took it and Billy was really clear. I mean, he was pretty, he's a pretty conservative theologian, but he, he's like all, all theories of atonement are, Poor attempts by humans to understand God's work in the world. And the more theological humility we have about that, the better. So if anybody beats you about the head and shoulders and says, no, this is the way you have to understand it, well, then they are, in fact, wrong. 
because that's not what the Bible says. It's not what the church has ever said, or at least not any church that I would go to. So before seminary, how much had you really explored atone, different atonement theories? So I was raised Catholic, and, and um, you know, Catholic theology is pretty top-down. <laughs> Here's a doctrine. Uh, the, the Mass is a sacrifice of Christ every, every, year, every week, mm-hmm. like every Mass, every yeah. day if you do daily Mass. The whole uh, transubstantiation theory is it's actually Christ. And um, there's a crucifix and not a cross. Like it's, it can get a little bloody. Mm-hmm. And so when I, by, by the time I heard a call to ministry and went to seminary, it was all about grace for me. And I knew that like, this was the thing I was going to have to work through because my understanding of atonement and reconciliation was very much, very much about the cross. And yet that was divergent from my own experience of God as an adult. And so I knew going into that year of systematics that this is the thing I was going to have to work through and and come to terms with and get comfortable with. And Billy Abraham's uh, atonement lecture was the very best lecture I've ever heard on any subject ever. I recorded it. I used to play it in um, my disciple class when we got to this like subject, you know, how they deal with it, disciple. I ended up coming out of it pretty happy <laughs> with where I landed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So can you name some of the, the other most common? Yeah. I mean, there's some, they all, there are lots of them, but the, the ones that I tend to focus on or tend to categorize would be the kind of, uh, satisfaction atonement or substitutionary atonement or kind of debt repayment that, that class, I would say. And then Christ the victor, which is kind of an empowering, um, explanation and then there's a moral exemplar, which is um, uh, Peter of Abelard articulated this Middle Ages, but pretty late after the fact, you know, but still a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And his thing was um, like that Jesus set the example that we then follow. And, the, and every like every theory has its holes. Every theory has more questions that it raises. Every theory falls short in some area or another. And so it's not a matter of getting the right one mm-hmm. or the church would have settled on that a long time ago. It's a, it's a matter of, um, of being able to make sense of the meaning of the cross in a way that is edifying to your faith while remaining true to Christian theology. That it's that the atonement is solving a problem. And the first thing you got to do is acknowledge the problem, which is sin. And if you don't acknowledge the problem of sin, then you're starting, you know, you're, you're off base to begin with. But if you, once you accept that, then, uh, the question of how, how Christ reconciles us to God is really the, the fundamental question that we're working through in these theories. And I think it sounds kind of nerdy. Like it sounds kind of esoteric, maybe that Christians should be expected to answer these kind of heavy theological questions. But the problem is when you start asking questions, if you don't have answers, then it can, it can be really damaging to your faith. And so, you know, that's why, like the thing about Christian theology is it's, it's so rich. And in our Methodist tradition, there are, we are in fact empowered to think through our faith for ourselves. So that if you, if you have an abusive father and father language where God doesn't work for you, well, then there are, there are alternatives. Like it's fine. You can work, you can think of it in a different way. If you, um, if you perceive the satisfaction atonement theory to be divine child abuse and you have some kind of thing in your history or family system that makes that particularly repugnant and you cannot reconcile the fact. I mean, 
we we can never lose sight of the fact that it is God. Yes. <laughs> right? That it's yeah. not the Father sending the Son. It's the Father becoming one of us. Correct. But that's really – that's a real subtle distinction mm-hmm. when you're talking about how how God the Father is, respond, is responding to the death of God the Son. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I just think – you know, Whit and I were talking about this on Saturday – like one of the first sermons I ever did was on this subject at, at Arapaho. And it was right after we had, um, I think we had, yeah, we had had Max and we had, had a, a miscarriage before we had Max. Mm-hmm. And so the, that sermon title was Love Conquers All. And it was about how I just can't, I just can't resonate with the theory that God would require this, mm-hmm. <laughs> that God would require this. That's different than being willing to do it. Yeah. Right. I, I just feel like at the moment of crisis, uh, of a crisis of faith, where you're asking logical questions and not just kind of accepting what you've always heard, then it's good to have other language for the cross. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that one of the questions I've gotten most is, yeah, how could God, how could God kill the son? You know, and you're like, no, like, you know, and so that's it. That trips up a lot of people. So I think you made a good point. Like, yes, it's it's the sun, but it's God coming. It's God too. Right. <laughs> so it's different. But um, a lot of those kind of like theories or Scott and I always talk about so much of theology is kind of carving with a scalpel. <laughs> like, you know, you can, okay, well, this this is true here, but don't get don't go too far. So you have to just be really – Careful, and that takes a lot of intention, a lot of exploring, a lot of asking questions, a lot of um, – because we can't just blatantly say things because there's sometimes ramifications <laughs> when we say something. Okay, well, then what does this mean? Then what does this mean? And the cross isn't – this whole part of the story really trips people because they're – you know, they're loving the story of Jesus, and then they get to this part, and they're like, wait, what do I do with mm-hmm. this? So that's why it's important not to run away from it, but to kind of lean into it and figure out what you kind of believe. Um, yeah, it's just, it's foundational, like you said. Mm-hmm. It's really, really important. Okay, so since you, the theory that you like the most or that you kind of lean is Christ the victor, can you go back through the scripture that we've explored through this series and how you see that theory kind of being lived out? So, okay, so Christ the victor says that the reconciliation between God and humanity is through Christ's victory, mm-hmm. his conquering of sin, evil, suffering, and death. So the suffering and death thing is relatively straightforward, right? He, he, Good Friday and, Resur- and Easter, we, we, we know that death is no longer the, has the final say, right? Right. Christ is open paradise is the way we'll sing it on Easter, Easter Sunday. Evil trips people up. Because you can either think of evil as a force in the world, even, and you can think of evil as a force, whether or not you believe in the embodied devil, or it's a, uh, not a metaphor, but it's, it's a result of poor human choices. And I would say for me, it's probably both, you know? So how does the whole the ministry of Christ conquer evil and then sin? And here is where I think some of the other um, some of the other theories are helpful. So, 
I mean, one way, if you're, if you think evil primarily is the result of human poor choices, well, clearly he modeled a life that looks like not making those poor choices, yeah. right? And his commandments are pretty clear. If you, if you, if you follow the teachings of Christ, you will therefore, you will by definition not be participating in evil. Um, as far as sin goes, uh, and here I think you have to go to other places in the canon, okay, like Romans, where uh, Paul says the basic argument of Romans is that everyone is a slave to something. We're either a slave to the flesh, like our human desires, um, human will, or we're a slave to Christ. And he puts it that starkly. And if we're if we have if we have our faith in Christ and we're a slave to Christ, then we have the power by the Holy Spirit working within us to not sin anymore. I mean, we still do because we're imperfect. Right. But uh, we, we can make different choices that align with God's will as lived out in his ministry, in Christ's ministry. And then in Ephesians, which is probably not written by Paul, um, it talks about kind of the cosmic battle, um, like that, that the power of God overcomes the, the, the power of this present darkness. It's very, it's beautiful and um, evocative language. So when Jesus says in the gospels, the son of man must die, must suffer and die. How do you read that? Do you read that that is what's required for salvation? <laughs> or do you read it that that's the inevitable outcome of living in this world and confronting the powers that be. Yeah. Well, clearly for me, it's B, mm -hmm. right? That's not the mission. It's a consequence of the mission. And that's why I did that thing with the, um, with D-Day, especially in light of what's going on in Ukraine, that the Holy Spirit working within us is what can overcome much of the evil in this world. And ultimately none of it gets the final say. Mm -hmm. I just think that's a really powerful and empowering way of understanding. Like, because it, it puts the proper amount of burden on us to make the right choices, but without giving us credit for stuff that is actually God working within us. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, it acknowledges the reality of sin while also acknowledging the, uh, the ways in which the grace of God shows up. That's good. Do you love talking about stuff like I this? I do. I totally <laughs> dork out on this. I do. I love it. And, and I, I love it mostly because um, having like – it was important. It was important to me. I'm going to make it about me for a minute. So it was important for me if I'm going to be, if I'm going to authentically preach the gospel, then I, I've got to make sense of this in a way that that's not just well, this is the way it is. That so you have to believe it. And I there's just no part of me that thinks that death is a requirement. I just can't. I just can't believe that that, that God would require that. No, <laughs> there's a um, I've got a book on my shelf by a. Mennonite theologian who was at Notre Dame, coincidentally, called the nonviolent atonement. Hmm. And he actually uh, unpacks his theology through Revelation, which most people consider to be an extremely violent book. And his point is that um, atonement theology is very much about the theology of risk, that, that God entered enemy territory, and you don't have to – enemy territory meaning – the realm of Satan. And that's certainly the way Luke presents it. Yeah. Right. Cause Satan comes back at the opportune time in Judas is what we'll read during the, uh, well, if we're, if we read it, if we were to read mm -hmm. Luke's version, 
this is, this is also why I felt like the D-Day thing was compelling. I didn't want to get into Satan stuff because that's distracting for people if, you know, because then that, that, that opens up a whole bunch of other questions that right. people may or may not have wrestled with. God entering enemy territory to take it back for God is, I just think that's really compelling and powerful. Makes me think of the beginning. Uh, I don't know why the beginning of this story always makes me laugh when they go get the coal. <laughs> they mm-hmm. say, the Lord needs it. <laughs> Like, like the Jedi mind trick? Yeah, a little bit. It's a very logical question. Why are you taking my cult? Yeah. <laughs> the Lord needs it. Oh, well, then by all means. Somehow I just picture like Jack Black saying it and the way he does it, he's like, I don't know. I don't know. It just makes me laugh every time I read this story. Okay. So you just explained a lot. And in your sermon, I mean, what do you, what would be your goal or what's your main point from your sermon you want people to walk away with. I mean, the focus statement, you may read the focus statement. Too. Sure. I never send this to you on the manuscript. Yeah. It's like, I don't have it. Uh, on Palm Sunday, as we conclude our series about the life of Christ, we celebrate our deliverance through his sacrificial love for us. Okay. So that on one level, it's about, and uh, it so often happens with Jason. He picked the closing hymn that was perfect. Like rejoice, ye, per- ye pure in heart. Like regardless of how you make sense of Holy Week and his passion, Regardless of the heaviness of this week, it is about salvation, <laughs> whether it's the culmination of the story or in your theology is the main focus of the story. So that's good. That's, that's, a, that's the primary thing. And I get to that um, when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him mm-hmm. to die is the line in the song, which, and I've never really loved, I've never liked that line. But when you think his son not sparing, meaning willing to risk this, sent him to save. Mm-hmm. That's a whole, that's a pretty powerful message. But then secondarily, it's for the people who wrestle with this part of the story and the way they've always heard it and the way they've um, been told to make sense of it. And they might like, they might be on board uh, with 95% of Christianity and this thing keeps them from being all in. Yeah. And uh, I think, I think that is a common experience. I think it's more common than people admit, frankly. And I think that I wanted to make sure that everyone heard me as a, you know, I mean, I've spent a fair amount of time thinking about this and I'm, I'm in a position of religious authority, like giving them the uh, permission without sounding condescending about it to think about it in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what is one of your favorite moments of Holy Week? Is there a part that you like really look forward to? At my previous two churches, my the holiest moment of the year of the of the week, and one of the holiest moments of the year was the end of the the Monday Thursday service because it uh, in both Henrietta and Sherman there were we had pyramids meaning like uh, cloths on the altar that matched the liturgical colors and cloths on the pulpit, um, and we had some more stuff. I mean, we have a, a pretty uh, simple layout here at Christ United, which I love. So this is not intended. I'm not making a comparison that we're doing it worse, but there was, there was a lot to take to that needed to be removed for good Friday. And so, uh, at the end of the Monday, Thursday service, we would do what's called the stripping of the church. It's a liturgical term. And while the choir saying, behold the lamb, which, Oh my God, is one of the most beautiful songs. We would slow, the pastors would slowly remove mm all the visuals so that at the end you had a bare altar 
cross came off, candles came off, all of it, with the choir in the back. Um, and then we would sing one of the one. I think it's what, what Wonders Love is this. It says what, uh, and when from death I'm free, I'll sing on. Hmm. I'll sing on, and when from death I'm, I'm free, I'll sing on. The in Henrietta, the first year we were there for Holy Week, or the first yeah, the first year we were there for Holy Week. We did that at the end of the Monday Thursday service, and the next day we found out about Whitney's father. Yeah. So it's like this. It was like the last normal moment. Mm. And and it's and the line is so. I mean, it's like it's such an important part of the message of Easter. We are, in fact, free from death, kind of on a, in an eternal way. Yeah. So, probably that. Okay. How about you? The end of Good Friday is always mm-hmm. very moving, like exiting and the silence. I just think, uh, again, like you talked about, people, we just love to skip over this this hard part and it when you kind of sit with that that emptiness i also just really love saturday thinking about like um the disciples and all the followers just like what just happened what do we do sitting on saturday and just thinking how that must have felt on that first um you know easter weekend um yeah, and, and knowing that so many people sit with that feeling of, like, hopelessness and, like, confusion and how we get to tell this story, like, hang on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. there's something that's coming. So I think it's, like, kind of Saturday, even though there's no – they don't really do a service. Quietest day in the, in the yeah. church here. It is. But it's, it's, the only, it's the only day in the church here that's got nothing going on. Yeah. I mean, like, big C church, Catholic church. Right. Um. I think it's Barbara Brown, Brown Taylor talks about a church that she served where uh, the chapel was adjacent to the sanctuary and all of the Easter lilies get delivered on Friday because, mm-hmm. or in this particular setting, and they would put them all in the chapel so you could kind of smell them in the sanctuary on Good Friday, hmm. knowing that Easter is coming yeah. in the heaviness of the moment, Oh, which is really pretty cool. Yeah, that is cool. Um, what about Easter Sun? Easter Sunday, which man, the whole thing, the whole thing. thing. I love getting up at four in the morning and Ugh. having chocolate and <laughs> Easter eggs, and then coming for the early service. All the energy, like here, is going to be spectacular. We got a full orchestra for all three services. We've got the full choir for all three services. I love the Hallelujah chorus. Oh my God, I love the Hallelujah chorus. And then um, it's Vitor's Toccata is the the benediction response uh yeah no the benediction response is the hallelujah chorus and then the postlude is the vitor toccata which is incredible you know what that is that 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 and julia i'm sure is gonna crush it and there's a line in um let's see in the hallelujah chorus what is the line and he shall reign forever and ever i I just (laughs) oh man it's so it's like i don't know it's like spiking the football in the end zone when you score Mm -hmm. a touchdown at the end of how i mean i just love that whole all of the emotions of, of Easter are so, so great. And then um, we'll go home and do nothing for all afternoon. That's pretty great, too. Yeah, that's nice. How about you? I mean, I love the music. I think there's something, even though we say it a lot, like, he is risen, and he's risen indeed. And just having that mm-hmm. that huge, like, all those people respond yeah, yeah. is pretty powerful. It's just a pretty good moment. It really is. Like, the man, the church does it right on Easter Sunday. Yeah. So we should probably remind everybody of the schedule. Yes. 7 a.m., what do we call this courtyard over here? The cross-shaped fountain. 
It's by and it faces Coit, mm-hmm. so it's um, just south of the sanctuary. Uh, okay, so that's seven. Yeah. And there's a 18 foot cross full of flowers. <laughs> oh, not 18 feet. I'm kidding. <laughs> 72 inches. 72 tall. inches. Okay. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. We we ordered quite a few flowers, so. <laughs> and that's a new addition. It's a new. It, we're it trying is. it this year. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. It's going to be beautiful. So then eight o'clock, and then three sanctuary services. It's very, very important. Very, very important. 8 a.m., mm-hmm. 9.30, and 11. Yes. 8 a.m., 9.30, and 11. Full choir, full orchestra, full hallelujah chorus, yep. full Vita Toccata. All of it. Awesome. All of it. Then 11 a.m. in modern. Then chocolate coma and nap. Yes. It's going to be a beautiful day on Easter. I was just checking the weather. Yeah, what's the weather? A low is 61, high is 83. Ooh. Beautiful. That's kind of perfect. Mm, Are you going to yeah. wear an Easter bonnet? Do you think it will distract from how big my belly is? People will, like, <laughs> won't notice it. Um, it's funny. It's people are like, funny. what do you <laughs> – you can't even tell I'm pregnant now. Um <laughs> I have friends that are in different denominations. They're like, what do, you, what do you wear in Easter? And they're like, oh, yeah, I guess it doesn't matter since you wear a robe all morning. I'm like, it really doesn't. I can wear like a T-shirt and shorts and it'd be fine. Ashley, how about you? What's your stance on the Easter hat? Um, you know. Your country. I am country. <laughs> we, um, we did not wear hats, though. Okay. Did not wear hats. Lots of petticoats, though. <laughs> petticoats? Did you ever have a pair of white gloves? Are you making that up? No. <laughs> no. That's of course awesome. not. Well, how high is just a petticoat? A po- it, just, it just makes your little skirt poof out. Yeah. What is a petticoat? Maybe I don't know a what it is. A petticoat is a tooled underskirt. goes that, underneath. Oh. Yeah. I was thinking a jacket. Uh-uh. No, petticoat is what makes little girls' skirts kind of poofy. No kidding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, okay. Can I say this? <laughs> so we had a baptism yesterday. Uh-huh. And uh, a little girl. Mm-hmm. I, I've got boys. Yeah. I don't know. I Like... It's, it makes me, frankly, a little uncomfortable uh-huh. with the whole dress thing. Like, because oh, yeah. I, I feel like it's always riding up and I don't know how to fix it without being weird about it. And yeah. then the same with the baptism gowns. Now, mm-hmm. the adorable child yesterday mm-hmm. just was very chill. So she just kind of went with yeah. it. And she was as cute as she could be. She was. But that was kind of a, like, she's two, yeah. right? So she had like a regular dress. Yeah. And so I picked her up and I thought, like, do I need to adjust anything? Like, if, I don't know. <laughs> I hope she has shorts underneath. I don't know. Well, yeah. yeah. Being thoughtful. Yeah. So, yeah. okay. So Didn't at you least say the no dress made them there. slippery too? So sometimes <laughs> those gowns are a little slick and yeah. I've already got my big old poofy black thing. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Be warned parents. Yeah. Just dress Burlap. them. Burlap. If, if I ask you to hold your own kid, that's right. why. Dress them for traction. <laughs> yes. Burlap sacks. Track suits. <laughs> And then uh, Timothy, last week, little guy, cute little guy, yes. had a hat on. Aww. And so I was trying to, like, what, was it a hat? What do you call that thing? I mean, it like was a, a hat, bonnet, sort of. I don't know what it was. It was like a, I mean, it wasn't like a hat, like a no, like a wide brim hat or whatever. It was no. like a, a thing that was like, uh, what do you, it wasn't a beanie, though, because it wasn't all the way around. Right. It's not like what they leave the it hospital was, with. It was an oh. antique, so it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. An heirloom, family heirloom. Yeah. yeah. But then uh, when I baptized him, it, uh. It got a little whopper jawed. Yep. Yeah. And so it was kind of covering one of his eyes, but I Wait, was already. It got, it got what? Whopper jawed. Sorry. What? what is that word? <laughs> oh, you don't know what whopper jawed is? <laughs> no. Okay. That means uh, uh, like. Like hawkeye? Moved askew, yes. Cock-eyed. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, whopper jawed. So, whopper jawed. 
I can't believe you've never heard that. I've as country heard, as you are. I know. As Texas country as, as you are. As Texas country as I've never heard Womper Womperjaw. What so, is that? Okay, I'm going to have to right, look so that up. I, I'm going to show him off to the congregation. And his little hat is like half <laughs> over one eye. Yeah. But I'm I got a death grip on him because yeah. I don't want him to slip through my arms because he's got the you know the yeah. family heirloom skirt on. I mean skirt yeah. gown. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Baptism gown. Um so there's a lot listen. There's a lot going on. There's plenty they don't teach you in seminary. <laughs> and then I saw a video of <laughs> it was an Orthodox baptism. So in this in like very traditional Orthodox services, they, they oil the baby up with yeah. olive oil. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh-huh. So the devil can't grab him. Uh-huh. <laughs> And (laughs) I don't know, this came up maybe in my Twitter feed or something. Um, This priest is holding this baby who's only got a diaper on. Uh Yeah. Over the baptismal font. Mm -hmm. And he's got him by the arms. And, you know, I mean, I know they're not as fragile as we think they are. Yeah. But he, like, slung him into the water three times. Wham. Oh, I think I've seen that. Yeah. (laughs) And then flipped him over to his dad. I'm like. Whoa, I would be a nervous wreck if that was a part of our uh-huh. part of our tradition. Because I would be definitely afraid of hurting the child. For oh. sure. So, mm-hmm. anywho. Yeah. All right, a little baptism talk thrown into our <laughs> Palm Sunday discussion. Yep. <laughs> oh, good times. Okay, so on behalf of the entire uh, Offscript community, God bless you. Mm-hmm. Eight days from now. Eight days. Yep. I thought about suddenly saying, my water just broke in the middle of this Whoa. recording just to like throw you all off, but it didn't. So... <laughs> I got a story about that. So <laughs> when we were in Henrietta, about my water breaking, no, no. When we were in Henrietta, I told the story of Sam's birth because we were we moved to Henrietta in July. Sam was born in August. It was a very funny story about, for another time. Yeah. yeah. But I used that phrase, and there were members of the church that were very offended that I used that phrase in the pulpit. Water breaking? Yeah. Shh. Oh. Don't do it. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was kind of the older... Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah like yeah, there yeah. was a row of, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I won't tell you what everybody called it, uh-huh. but the saints <laughs> of the church, saints of the church, like yeah. they were anything you needed, they were there. I mean, just they had been part of that church for 150 years. Them, they had personally. <sighs> yeah, and uh, I, they didn't tell me, but the lay leader said, "Now you know, Chris, can't right? You can't really use that phrase in the pulpit." I'm like, "What did I say? I thought maybe I'd been ad libbing something because you know I was sleep deprived because we had an infant now." Right. And he's like, you said that Whitney's water broke. I'm like, well, that is actually what happened. <laughs> so Easter. All right. <laughs> Back to the resurrection. <laughs> we appreciate you guys being with us. Uh, Reagan, seriously, God bless you. Uh, we'll, like, we'll, we'll take the summer off. So you'll be on maternity leave and we'll yep. be off for the summer. So it'll be August before our listeners get to hear you uh, talk about theology again and yeah. the Bible. And so... God bless you and Scott, the whole family. Thanks. And uh, we will be back, not next week, because next week is a quiet week for the church. We're going to be kicking it. So in two weeks, Stephanie and I will be talking about our uh, respective Easter sermons. Mm -hmm. All right. God bless y'all. We'll be back in two weeks. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Off Script. It was hosted by Reverend Chris Dowd, produced by Ashley Danner as a part of the Christ United Podcast Ministries. You can visit cumc.com backslash podcasts in order to see all of the series we have available. Like, subscribe, and follow us so that you don't miss a single episode. Thank you for supporting us. Have a great week.